The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen, or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me seem wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked, the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that the runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them. But the righteous live by their fate. The Lord be the Lord. The word be of the Lord. Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing and tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at this table. Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? Put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The word of the Lord. Increase our faith they demand? Is their question a plea for a miracle? Jesus has been doing some healing. He had just healed a crippled woman. Surely he can give them more faith. 
increase our faith. They request. Is the request derived from a place of fear? Just prior to this text, Jesus was warning about not getting in the way so others may stumble. Increase our faith. Is their demand such so that they have enough ability to do all that Jesus is asking of them to do? Because Jesus had just been talking about how they must forgive. And if Jesus were to meet their request and increase their faith, what would that look like? What would that feel like? Somewhere in 8th or ninth grade, I really got into my Jesus freak years. Midweek youth events like FCA and Young Life were all the rage. And it's where my friends were hanging out, and so it is where I, too, wanted to be. But I never felt like I quite fit in with the experience. The praise band would be playing, and the kids are all raising their hands to the sky, and I'm like, what am I supposed to be feeling here? Why don't I feel anything? Do I not have enough faith? Looking back, I realized nothing was wrong with me, but that many of my friends had really bad theology and taste in music, so it's okay. We often desire more faith. How many of us have thought, oh, I wish I had the kind of faith that could move mountains? as if it's something that we can pick up more of at the grocery store. Or perhaps we think, it's, we think of it as winning the faith lottery. It's impossible to obtain unless we are lucky enough to win it. Or maybe we think of it as some kind of magic miracle and if we had it, we could be like Wonder Woman and suddenly strong and resilient and able to confront any obstacle and able to always say, not today, Satan. But what do we think it looks like to have more faith? Does it mean our faith life will be easier? That we believe harder? That we have more knowledge? Does it mean that our doubts are removed? That we become more confident that what we've been told 
is true. For me to have more faith, do my hands magically float above my head during a praise song? Oh no. We live in a society where bigger is seen as better, where we can never have enough. We tend to believe that everything has to always feel extraordinary to count. Sensational news, fast action, bigger numbers. So maybe we think if we're not always having some mountaintop experience with God, that somehow our faith is faltering. We think that we don't have enough. But Jesus, after, after the disciples' request for, them, for him to increase their faith, directs their attention to the mulberry tree. Maybe it's next to them. And he makes this faith metaphor that all the disciples need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus reminds them and us that faith is not fundamentally something we can quantify. Whatever the amount of faith that we have, is all the faith that we need. It is enough. It reminds me of the scene from the movie The Wizard of Oz. Are you guys all familiar with The Wizard of Oz? But that part where Glinda the Good Witch tells Dorothy who desperately has been wanting to go home, that she has always had the power to go home with the help of her ruby red slippers. And I was re-watching this scene while preparing for this sermon, and what's interesting is right after Glenda the Good Witch tells Dorothy that her shoes can take her back home, the scarecrow chimes in and says, why didn't you tell her that? And Glenda the Good Witch responds, she would have not believed me. She had to learn for herself. How many of us would believe that we already have enough faith? Do we really believe Jesus when he tells us that our mustard seed size of faith is enough? And if not, how do we come to learn this for ourselves? There is a well-known joke, the Carnegie Hall joke. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? 
Y'all can do better than that. How do we get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. It's simple. Faith is manifested in how it's practiced. Faith is more than a verb, than a noun. If faith is like, say, learning a musical instrument, let's say the violin. You don't start out with Beethoven's sonata, violin concerto number nine. You start with plucking the strings. Sorry, I had this moment earlier this week with, <laughs> with Hayden. You start with twinkle, twinkle, little star. And then twinkle, twinkle, little star becomes easier. And you move on to something more challenging. And you only get there with practice. And Jesus talks about faith in practice. And Jesus points out that a farmer simply expects a slave to prepare supper and serve him. Jesus expects us to be like slaves, serving others without question, doing what we ought to do. Now this part of the story about masters and slaves probably makes us cringe. The United States and our own community of Richmond has a painful history of the transatlantic and domestic slave trade that we have yet to really address. And this text is problematic for those who no longer accept the institution of slavery or perhaps have close ties to it. And while in the ancient world a slave was not only a socioeconomic entity and a caste, and for lack of a better phrase, was widely accepted and not seen as shameful, no one wants to be a slave to anyone or anything. And for many in the world, slavery is not a distant memory, but a very real and present way of life between human trafficking and forced labor and prison labor and forced marriages, there are still over 45 million people enslaved in the world today. So when Jesus makes a comparison of slavery to that of our faith, it's problematic. Because I am sure at some point in time, this text was used to justify slavery. And I wish it weren't here in the text, but it is. And if we are going to take seriously the slave metaphor, we can at least ask, what kind of master is Jesus? 
And what we find is that Jesus becomes a slave to serve the neighbor. That this master wants to serve dinner to slaves. An inversion of what is currently known and what could ever be imagined. Jesus is wholly devoted to serving others. I think sometimes we think our faith has to always have some big and bold impact, that our faith should always be doing something extraordinary to show that our faith is just that, extraordinary. And so we withhold even the mustard seed we have, waiting for it to take root and grow, to get bigger and stronger, not realizing that the nutrients our mustard seed of faith needs is outside of us. That we should heed Jesus' metaphor that it is not about the quantity of faith, but the quality of who God is. We can't treat faith like some people treat their relationship to the gym or even to church. Where we think we have to lose weight first and get looking good first before we go to the gym. Come on, we've all, we know. Or we wait around and think, I can't go to church yet. My faith isn't strong enough to go to church yet. Throughout the gospel, those we least expect are often held up as exemplars of faith. A Roman centurion goes to great lengths to have him heal a trusted servant. And Jesus exclaims, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years touches the hem of Jesus' cloak, Jesus comforts her by saying, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And when a sinful woman anoints Jesus' feet with perfume and her tears, Jesus responds, Your faith has saved you. And when only the foreign leper comes back to thank Jesus after being cleansed. Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And when a blind beggar sitting on the road to Jericho desires to have his vision restored, he proclaims as Jesus goes by, have mercy upon me. And Jesus heals him and says, your faith has healed you. It doesn't take but a willingness to reach outside of ourselves, where even the most mundane act of faith carries an extraordinary potential for transforming the world into the image of our Creator. This week, Amber Geiger 
a 31-year-old white police officer was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in prison for killing Botham John, a black man from St. Lucia, when she mistook his apartment for hers. And before heading to prison, Botham's young brother, Brant, had the opportunity to share his thoughts during the victim impact statement. His words. If you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you. He then asked for permission to hug Amber and with permission, the two wept and embraced. This man exercised his faith, reaching outside of himself to serve another. A gesture that allowed everyone the opportunity to move forward. It was an amazing act of forgiveness and healing. I doubt it was easy. And it may very well be a decision that Brant has to choose daily. But it was an inversion of what is currently known and what could ever be imagined. And the world was turned upside down and transformed the world into the image of our creator. And our faith increased. 